This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Again, it's great to see you all here today. Um, Did anyone get any chocolate of any description this morning? Um, I just wanted to tell you a little story. So my, my wife does a big production on all holidays. She's American. She can't help herself. So at, uh, so yesterday she um, had, let me just tell you this story. She had Easter baskets for our two daughters and our dog. I didn't get anything. So if you think about it, you can pray for me later. I'm just still recovering from the exclusion in our family holidays. Um, we have been talking about the subject of grace for the last few weeks, and we are talking about it again today. And the reason we're discussing grace is that the grace is unique to the scriptures, to the Bible, and we need to understand, and we should understand what grace is. And it's uh, especially important today on uh, Easter as we celebrate the resurrection, as we are part of the large sea church around the world who is gathering together in churches in different places, just lifting up the name of Jesus, celebrating this thing that happened 2,000 years ago, and then what it might mean in our lives today. That's the most important part. The fact that Jesus died and was resurrected, what does it mean for me today and how should I celebrate it? Is it, is it important to me today? And um, part of understanding grace helps us to know how to apply that in our lives. Um, so just beyond the idea of grace being something that we pray before we eat, you know, thanking God for our food, grace is actually a bigger concept, a bigger idea in the scriptures. That's why we've been spending a few weeks and we will continue to spend a few more weeks just understanding what grace is. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, or if you have a device that has the Bible app on it, you can uh, follow along with us as well. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, the first part of it says this, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That in the scripture, we see this revelation, this understanding that God reveals himself to us as the God of grace. When the scripture uh, talks about Jesus arriving on the earth here in, in John chapter 1, it talks about that grace and truth came through Jesus. So what is this idea of grace? Why is it so important? Why is it unique to the scripture? And so I'm going to give you a few definitions of what grace means. And I, the reason I give a few is because um, one definition will hit and make sense to somebody and then another definition will help somebody else. I'm just going to give you a few definitions of the word grace. The word grace broadly describes the whole of God's activity towards man. Everything that we can describe, all that God has given to us, God has given to us life and breath and our, our food that we eat and the ability to work, all of these things that we have, a broad way to describe that is grace. And then specifically, things that we would ask God for uh, based in this season of life, how we're living right now, what we might be going through, what uh, we might make a matter of prayer, God, I need this from you, that specific thing that you're asking from God, is grace. We're, we're reaching out to an aspect of God's character, an aspect of who he is, and asking him for something that is called grace. Another way to understand grace is grace is unmerited favor toward man. In other words, 
Uh, there's not something that we've done to deserve what God has given to us. It's not because we're really good people or we're really religious people or we're the highest of uh, moral description in Mississauga. But the reason God would do anything for us is based on his own nature and character. It is unmerited favor. Uh, Grace also means undeserved acceptance and love received from another. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve acceptance from God, but God gives it to me anyway. None of us deserved it. Undeserved favor granted by a superior to an inferior. In other words, something God who is superior than us gives to us as the inferior. Undeserved favor of God in providing salvation for those deserving condemnation. So we celebrate this idea that Jesus came and he died on the cross. And by doing that, he provided salvation for us when we deserved condemnation. Grace speaks of the saving activity of God, which is manifested in the gift of his son to die in the place of sinners. This idea of substitution, that Jesus did something on my behalf that I couldn't actually accomplish for myself. What is that? It's grace. Here's a simple definition. Grace is a free gift. It's just free. We don't deserve it. We don't qualify for it. We didn't merit it. Based on God's nature and character alone, he saves us, provides something for us, and then we just get to reap the benefits of it. We just get to say yes to the free gifts that he gives. And as I've said, you know, the Christian life from the beginning to the end is all about grace. Uh, You know, you might be a visitor this morning and somebody that you invited, you know they're a Christian. And the reason they're a Christian is not because they're better than you. And it's not because they're more of a, a more of a moral person than you. The reason that they're claiming to be a Christian is that they've received this grace. They've said yes to grace. They, they realize that they couldn't actually do it on their own. They realize they didn't qualify in their own goodness and their own religiosity. And then they said yes to this gift God gives. And when we think about the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament... All, when, we, when we see people and we think about people from the scripture, sometimes we sort of sanitize their memory. Um, and we kind of think maybe the characters in the Old Testament were maybe sort of superhuman, that they had, you know, maybe different abilities um, that we don't actually have. We think about maybe Moses or Abraham or King David, that we think about these people from the Old Testament. And we kind of think, well, maybe they were just better than the rest of us. You know, they were leaders of nations and David was a king. But when we think about who those guys are, Moses, you know, he was a murderer. And Abraham was a liar. And David was an adulterer and a murderer. So God didn't look down and choose somebody to work with because they were perfect. He actually chose people who needed grace. And we are in the same category. There's areas where we have come up short. The scripture says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If You know, God would only choose to work with people who are perfect. He wouldn't have anybody to work with. So he's reaching out to all of us with the hand of grace, with the offer of grace, so that we can actually have a relationship with him. Not because we're perfect, not because we're more educated or we're more down and out. It actually, God offers grace to everyone. So when we look at and we celebrate today the resurrection, 
there's two aspects of the resurrection. There's the historical understanding of the resurrection, resurrection that it was an event that happened in time that people talked about and celebrated and made a big deal about. And then there's sort of the personal side of resurrection. What does it actually mean to me in a personal sense? So we're going to look at both of those this morning. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll see here Paul gives a historical account of the resurrection and then specifically what it might mean from the Old Testament prophecies. Uh, Here in verse 3 he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. In other words, these things had been prophesied in the Old Testament before they actually occurred when Jesus lived on the earth. Uh, Verse 5, And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So after he resurrected, he appeared to his disciples. And then, here's something great in verse 6. It says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some of them have fallen asleep. So Paul is writing this about 25 to 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And partly he's bringing uh, to their attention this church that he's writing to. Here's Jesus did this and it was actually prophesied in the Old Testament. And he was risen from the dead. And then his point is, there's actually some people still alive right now as he's writing this that saw him after his resurrection about 25 years ago. Now, if you aren't 25 years old yet, you know, 25 years seems like an eternity. But for anyone maybe in their late 30s or 40s or older, 25 years is like yesterday, right? Come on, do I have any friends here today? For, you know, when 25 years ago, just yesterday, in fact, 25 years ago this September, I met my wife for the very first time. We, we were both attending the same Bible school and I was with a friend of mine and I saw her in the distance. And my friend can corroborate this. I I looked and I saw her and I said to him, I want to date that girl. 25 years ago, it was just like yesterday I saw her and her hair was blonde and it's been a thousand colors since then. But then (laughs) it was blonde and I saw her and all I had to do, my friend can testify, is get just close enough for her to see me. And then the magnetism just happened. It was just yesterday. And my friend was there with me and we saw her together. And so for this, it's not actually a big deal. Paul, uh, Paul was writing this, hey, it's just 25 years ago. And there's, you know, some of them, Paul is saying, some of them have died. But there's a bunch of them still alive. So if you're not sure about the resurrection, you can just go talk to some of these people. So it is historically verifiable to Paul's point that Jesus was actually bodily and physically resurrected so there's the the historical side of it but then what does it mean to me as i live today as we look at the resurrection what did it actually affect in terms of history what did it affect in terms of our relationship with god and how can we actually come to god and can we actually understand what god did through jesus romans chapter 6 verse 4 gives us an idea about that it says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism in, into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So he's equating the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus to the lives that we live right now, that because Jesus died and was resurrected, 
the life that I live every day, not just a Sunday life, not just a church life, not just on Easter, but every day that we are going to live a new life. What does a new life look like in God? What is the thing that Paul is describing here in the scripture? Because many people, their understanding of God as it relates to religion or who he might be is some sort of distant deity far away, maybe aloof. Maybe just sort of waiting up in heaven to, to hammer me, to get me, to do something to me. And maybe just standing up there in heaven and just seeing if we're going to live a good enough life. If we can be moral people or religious people. And maybe at the end of my life that he will invite me into his presence based on how I lived my life. No, Paul is saying because of the resurrection that we right now, we can actually live a new life. In Christ. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 also adds an interesting idea to this. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He says this in verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter says here because of the resurrection I am actually going to experience living hope verse six and all this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise glory and honor when jesus christ is revealed verse eight though you have not seen him yet you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was given to come to you, searched intently with the greatest care. So we here see this idea of grace that something has been given to us by grace, and then it mentions faith. And see, this is how we appropriate or receive what God gives us by his grace. All we do is we say yes. That's what faith does. That's what faith says. Faith receives the gift. If God gives us a free gift, then we just believe that God gives us a free gift. And we say yes, and we receive it. That's what faith is. That's what faith does. So in other words, I'm not depending on myself. I'm just saying yes. I'm just receiving the life that God gives. But once again, we see there, Peter mentioned this idea, a living hope. A living hope. And then he talks about a bunch of trials and tests that we are going to go through. Now, when I was young, growing up in church, um, you know, when, you're, when you, you're young, you don't really have any issues. And you just think, I just remember thinking about everybody in church, like, why are they always talking about trials? Everybody's going through a trial. And I'm thinking, life is pretty easy for me. I get up, my mom feeds me, she gives me a lunch, I go to school, I learn stuff, I come home. What's so hard about life? Why are all these old people always going through stuff? And then you live a few more years and then you kind of uh, hit some of that stuff. And then you realize maybe how difficult life can be. You know, the totality of our lives, we have a starting place that God has given us breath uh, based on our parents getting together. And then we maybe have, obviously all of us have, an ending point in our lives. Peter says that we have, based on the resurrection, a living hope. 
So this hope we have based on the grace that God gives us is not just for the end of our lives, even though it is for the end of our lives, that it is a hope every day. Hope just means an expectation of good. So, you know, for me growing up, you know, I just remember the first thing that maybe happened to me that was a little bit difficult when I was seven years old, my dad's dad passed away. My grandfather passed away when I was seven. And when you're seven, it's hard to process death and understand it and go through it. And then so maybe that was sort of the first thing in my life that happened that sort of pulls you out of, oh, everything in life isn't perfect. And then you maybe go through life and you have a friendship go bad. And not just go bad, you had someone who really loved you and cared about you and called you their best friend who like turned on you and started saying really, really bad things about you. Those are really hard things to deal with. And then people go through terrible tragedies. Stuff happens and this person they love passed away or this thing went on. And then somebody you love and care about or maybe you, you get sick. And when we think about life, that is actually the one thing that we would all have in common, regardless of our background, regardless of where we come from, that at various times in our lives, we really are just going to suffer. That's what the scripture says. We're going to suffer through trials. So God doesn't just stay here at the end of our lives and just say, okay, we'll see what you guys can do with your life. You guys just figure it out on your own and then maybe... I'll call you into my presence if you live a good enough life. Now, the story of the scripture, the story of the gospel is that God actually inserts himself into life, into living, becomes a man, suffers all of the same things that we do, identifies with the scripture, says that he faced all of the same temptations that we faced, yet without sin. So Jesus faced, and we could think about this in his life, he had a bunch of friends who at the end of his life, they all deserted him. He was all alone. He had faced all of these things. And then on the cross, the scripture says, he who knew no sin, who had sinned, he actually became sin on our behalf. So God stepped into the middle of messy humanity. And identified with us, became one of us, understands what it's like to live in this messy, broken world. And because of the resurrection, he says to us, I'm offering you a living hope. That we would not just have an expectation when we die, but we would have an expectation as we live. Now, we all like a good comeback story. We know that, you know, when somebody, if you're into boxing and all, you know, somebody maybe who's got knocked down. And life is like that sometimes. It will knock you down. It will hit you a hard blow. But the stories that we like and the stories that we celebrate and the story that we want to tell at the end of our lives is that we didn't stay on the canvas. We actually got back up. And this is the life that God provides for us because of the resurrection. We can have a living hope. An expectation of good. And this is what the resurrection says to us today. And this is the grace that God offers us every day to all of us. That the resurrection power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, 
is not reserved just for the end of our lives. God wants to be invited into our daily life. So when we have those twists and turns and we have those things that we didn't expect and we have those things that we didn't want and wouldn't wish on our worst enemy, that I can still have a living hope every day because of the resurrection. Second Timothy chapter 1 says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So here he wants us to have a living hope in our lives. And then for eternity, he wants us to have that expectation that we are going to be with him forever. How is it that we are going to be with him forever? Are we going to try to be the best person we can be? And we're just trying to be really religious and super good and super moral and then pretend that we're better than everybody else and then offer to God my own righteous record. No, that the story of the gospel tells us that we should accept Jesus' righteous record. The one who knew no sin and then took my sin, became my substitute so that I don't have to worry about my today. I can have a living hope today and then I can have a living hope for my eternity. How does it come? It comes by grace. It comes from the character and nature of God, who is the giver of gifts. And all we have to do is receive what he gives us. All we have to do is have faith in what he says. Romans chapter 5. We just got a few more verses here. And then our team is coming up. Romans Chapter 4 says this, who, talking about Jesus, was delivered up for our trespass and raised up for our justification. So that Jesus took our sin and then was raised up, raised the resurrection of Jesus, was raised so that we would be justified. Now, a simple way to think about the word justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That because of what Jesus has done, dying on the cross, the resurrection, that God washes away my past. He washes away my sin. He washes away my self-righteousness. He washes away my superiority. And then I just receive what he gives me. And then I'm able to be in his presence. I'm able to be his son and daughter just as if I'd never sinned. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So God gives us salvation by grace. And then what do we do? By faith, we receive what he gives us. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So nobody is saved based on their own good works. Nobody is a Christian because they're a really good person. 
Nobody's a Christian because they're super religious. No, it is just a gift that God gives and we receive what he gives. Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we have a living hope for now, and then we have a hope for eternity. Because God is a giver of gifts. And God loves you and cares about your now and about your eternity. And all he's asking you to do is say yes. All he's asking you to do is believe. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your grace today. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of all grace. God, I thank you that you are giving us a living hope because of the resurrection. We are so thankful, Lord, that Jesus was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago. But we are also so thankful, Lord, that today we have this living hope for our now and for our eternity. Because you love us that you are the giver of gifts, that you are the God of all grace. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.